So we're going to get started here. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Joy. Uh, I'm married to Andrew. He was giving the announcements just in the last service. And if you haven't heard him yet, he'll be preaching in the next service. So that's the connection if you don't know who we are. Um, today's lesson is going to be on fortitude, which is the th third out of four cardinal virtues. And it kind of builds off of things here. So, um, yeah. So take a peek at this painting. Look at it, ponder for a moment, and I'm going to have us read, uh, read a scripture passage together out loud. So look for about 30 seconds. I'll hit the next slide, and we'll get this going. All right, let's read this all together. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, you will rise to the Jews. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. It's not every day you open with a passage from Esther, right? Probably not one of the ones that most people will quote from with regularity. Uh, but thankfully has a lot to do with what I'm talking about today. So we get to unearth it. Um, Esther. I am going to summarize Esther and we'll give a sneak peek as to what this is. But, but this is the verse that I want you to keep in mind. Okay. So I did say that fortitude is what we're talking about. But it builds off of some of the last kind of week's stuff. So in order to understand fortitude, it's good to remember what the other two virtues are that came before it. So what's the first one? The first cardinal virtue. Matt taught on this. Prudence. Prudence. Does anyone remember what prudence was? How is it defined? This isn't going to work if y'all don't talk. <laughs> so prudence, if you remember, is essentially the knowledge of what is true and what is good. Being able to recognize that. Having a clue, basically. Being informed. Prudence, right? It's the knowledge of what is good and ultimately what will be good to do and what the overall picture is, being able to discern. So that's prudence. The next week we heard, and that was last week, we heard from Hal. What did Hal talk on? Justice. Okay, that's a little better response. So we're doing a little bit better. Good. I know, I know, I know. But this, this is why we're doing this review, because it's important. All right. So what was justice? How do we define justice? Do you remember? He's right back there, but he wants to hear you answer. <laughs> mm -hmm. Doesn't have to be the perfect definition. Just give me some things that you remember. Rendering to each person what they're due. Rendering to each person what they're due, yeah. So if prudence is knowing what the good is and what you're supposed to do, good from bad. Justice is treating other people is that sort of understanding of I'm going to give you what you are worth, your human dignity, making sure that you are treating people in the right way that they deserve to be treated, right? Is this sounding familiar? Remembering this a little bit? Okay, good. Had me a little worried, but it's okay. 
So this week's lesson is on fortitude. Fortitude. Um, any initial impressions before I give you the definition? Putting up with stuff. Putting up with stuff. Okay. That's a good place to start. Putting up with things. What else? Yeah. Strength. Strength. Okay. Yeah. Relying on God so you don't give up. Yes. Strength. These types of things. Yeah. Courage. Courage. Yes. All of these words very, very much are a part of what fortitude is, how we define fortitude. But in and of themselves, strength, courage, just continuing on, bravery even, none of those things alone are enough to describe fortitude to fully get the picture. So we're going to go into it. How many of you watch Lord of the Rings or at least know of this series? I am a, I am a self, I'm a nerd, right? I read a lot of weird things. I love it. I, that's just how it's going to be. So you're going to have to deal with the fact that I'm not a philosopher. I'm not a theologian, but what I am is what I am. So for me, this is the reference that first comes to mind. It's a great scene in the films. They're in Osgiliath, and things are looking bad. Frodo has just super, super faced this temptation of, I want to give the ring up, right? Um, so he's at his wit's end, and he says this line, what are we holding on to, Sam, right? And this is what Sam says, that there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. And he says it after this really long and powerful monologue, and it's awesome, right? It's a great scene in the movies. But I would say that Sam doesn't go too far. For our definition of what fortitude is, that there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth dying for. That is how I'm going to lead into what is fortitude, okay? So, essentially, and I'm taking this from the book you should be familiar with by now, at least the cover, Joseph Pieper's Four Cardinal Virtues, right? Fortitude is basically the readiness to die in battle, usually for what is good, right? Um, so it's being willing to die. And if you take it to its most extreme form, martyrdom is the highest expression of fortitude. Okay? So this is um, it's a heavy lesson. But it doesn't have to be as weighty as that. But, but that's where you go. If you play out fortitude all the way to its natural conclusion, if you are informed about what is good and you know what is right and how you treat your neighbor and how the world should be, fortitude then, if played out to the end, means I am willing to die to make sure that that happens. Okay? Um, obviously, this is no light matter. This is not a light thing to do. Um, so if prudence and justice inform these virtues, fortitude and temperance are about maintaining the good that you've identified and that you recognize in others. Right? So fortitude takes center stage in this defense. That's, that's basically what it is, is recognizing there is good and it's worth fighting for. That's it in a nutshell. And I love this quote from Pieper. There's going to be a bunch, of, a bunch of quotes and a bunch of understanding, and he's really chewing on things like Aquinas and Augustine, and he's breaking down sources from a lot of different places. But this is his particular quote. The virtue of fortitude keeps man from so loving his life 
that he loses it. That, that'll stick with you, right? That'll stick. Does this sound like something that you have heard before? Is this something that sounds familiar? Does your initial impression of what fortitude is match up with what I'm telling you here so far? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> uh, I find that when you, as soon as I bring up the word death or some, the possibility of losing your life, most people get very, very uncomfortable and silent. Right? We're all going to die, though, people. Um, so it's just, this is the potential option of how it gets there in one way. <laughs> it's, it sounds really flippant, but there are a lot of worse ways to go than defending the good. Okay. Um, all right. So we'll read this out loud in just a moment here. But something I want to talk about is this idea that fortitude is not something that you are born with. Okay? It's not something you were born with. You don't have to be the bravest person in the world. You don't have to just be naturally brave. You don't have to be the most self-assured person in the world to embody and to carry out fortitude. Okay? This isn't a thing. Um, this isn't like, you know, the world of Harry Potter where all the Gryffindors have fortitude and everyone else doesn't. That kind of like cut and dry lines where these things are already predetermined and it's in your body just there waiting to be uncovered. No. This is something that everyone has access to. Everyone can have access to this if needed. Okay? So this is an important understanding to have. So fortitude in some ways is this understanding that... Um, the fear about what's going to happen or what might happen or how I might even suffer or maybe even how I'm called to die, all of that, all of those what-ifs for an anxious mind, which is insane to kind of ponder, all of that, if I'm doing whatever I'm doing and standing up for the right thing, all of that will not stop me from doing what I am called to do. Does that make sense? It's a full recognition of all the things that you might lose, everything that you might be able to um, imagine going wrong, and things that you don't ever want to hear, you don't ever want to go through. It's recognizing all of that and saying, okay, that's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. That's about enough that you might want to run away. But it's the decision of saying, but no, I will not. I will not run. I will stand for this if this is what I'm asked. And if it means my life, then it means my life. That is fortitude. And that is something that when we need it, we all have access to. Um, so one of the things that Pieper discusses is that this is um, a gift of the Holy Spirit. It, it is a special thing that is given to people as needed. So uh, much in the same way that you don't know how brave you will be until you encounter a situation, or um, it's, it's the same Thing that people describe saying you describe a horrible instance in your life and people go I have no idea how you can do that I would never be able to well you're also not in the middle of it fortitude finds you when you find yourself in these situations and you get to call on God and ask for it he makes it available to you to to tap into okay so and how do I know this well we, we read that passage in Esther right so the story of Esther loosely is she's this girl, and she's a beautiful Jewish woman, 
And at the time, this king of Persia is not too happy with his queen. And so he's looking for a replacement. And guess what? She becomes the replacement. So she gets uh, in the court and all this kind of stuff. But around that time, there's a plot to kill the Jews, right? And it's not good. I mean, letters get sent out. The whole, it's basically genocide to wipe them out. And Mordecai, Esther's caregiver, approaches the palace and has this conversation with her and she, through her guard. And she's wondering, well, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do about this? And he says, go to the king. And she goes, I don't think you understand. That's a death sentence, right? That's, that's a death sentence. You don't just approach the king. That's, that's not something I can do. He doesn't even know I'm Jewish, basically. And, and Mordecai's response is that, you know, do you really think you're safe being who you are in the palace? And he talks to her, and he reminds her of these things. And what he finishes with is, maybe you were born for such a time as this. So that's the challenge put in front of Esther. And why she got selected for an example of fortitude? Because of her actions that follow that. Right? She doesn't exhibit fortitude up until this moment. She hears this message, and her choice is to fast and to pray. And in three days' time, she will go and petition the king, which might mean her life. Okay? So the story of Esther, I feel like if you hear it at all, is one that usually kind of gets described as this beautiful princess and how lovely it is and how she gets to be made queen. But you forget she's kind of a rock star. She's willing to go in front and, and give up her life, if need be, for a king that, you know, really can do whatever he wants. So it's not this light thing, but Esther's a really powerful story. So she taps into this. But another example of this idea that um, you don't have to be naturally brave to exhibit fortitude, take a peek at this Isaiah passage here. Okay? It's one of my favorite passages. It's just, it's an important one. But this is, uh, this is talking about Israel being restored and redeemed. So this is one of the more upbeat parts of Isaiah, if you're reading through it. But listen to this language. This is not necessarily what I imagine hearing with restoration language. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like the deer and the tongue of the mute sing with joy. So that last part, right, about people being able to see, uh, the blind being able to see, deaf being able to hear, all of that stuff, yeah, we are very comfortable with this language about um, restoration and what that is. But I find it so fascinating that ahead of that is basically the equivalent, it's a call to kind of fortitude. It's a call to stand firm, right? It's not God, need, it's not because... I mean, God is coming, right? So he's going to set all these things right. He's going to fix all this. But notice that the call is still for basically still yourself. Get ready. Get some steel in your spine. Get a backbone. Get it together. He's coming. He's going to set this all right. So act like it. That, that to me is a really powerful idea. Act like it. Um, this is a good pause moment here. Does anyone have any... Thoughts, impressions, questions? It's okay. It can happen at any point in time. But 
All right. Um, so fortitude, if it's in service of the good, must be something that isn't done on your own benefit, right? It's not standing up for yourself and what's right. It's standing up for what is right, what is good. Do you see that subtle distinction there? Um, it's not you standing up for a bully because how dare you treat me like this. It's standing up for the bigger issues at hand and saying, how dare you treat people like this? How dare you whatever? Insert whatever atrocity or injustice is there. Okay. All right. Uh, so this is an important thing. Fortitude is not, okay? So this is how this helps. Fortitude is not stoicism. By that, I mean in the most classical definition and in the sense where you sit there and say, I'm feeling really afraid, but I'm going to just suppress all of that. I will feel nothing. I will walk in calm, cool, collected, right? It's not the suppression of all emotion, all fear, all doubt, all concern. It's not that. It's not fearlessness either. It's not the complete absence of fear where you walk in thinking, everything's fine, everything's good. It's not, a, it's not a lack of desire to live, right? It's not a death wish saying, my life doesn't mean a thing. It's all, we're all gonna die anyways, right? So no big deal. It's not risk seeking. Right, Not just being a daredevil to be a daredevil. And it's also not attention-seeking behavior. Look at me being so righteous that I'm fighting the cause. Okay? If you see any of these trademarks, this is not how we or how the church has understood fortitude to be. That's just not its thing. You're going to have to look again, look elsewhere, because that's not what it is. Fortitude, um, Howell's talking about how justice is what's expressed out in the world and what you see, right? And a lot of these other cardinal virtues are a, an inner state, a, an inner state. It's a, it's a state of the soul, basically where you're at internally. So for a lot of this, people might not even recognize that you're standing firm and making a big, or you're exercising or utilizing a ton of fortitude. Does that make sense? Um, a lot of this stuff is really showy and it's really a false kind of thing, or it relies on its own strength. That is not fortitude. Fortitude relies on not your own strength, but the strength of someone else that you are calling upon, the strength of whom you serve, okay? Um, I'm gonna need someone who's gonna pull out a Bible because I am gonna have you read some passages here, and I don't have them all up on slides. So is there someone who'd like to be a reader? They're short passages. Yeah, okay, Lee. Uh, you're going to look up Job. Job 1, verses 20 through 22. And I'm going to need one more person to read. All right, back in the, John. You're going to be reading James 5.11. Um, so I'm going to give them a minute to pull this passage up. But what I'd love to... Um, Oh, yeah. It's not selfish. Sorry, forgot that one. But yeah, I think we kind of touched on that. It's not selfish, right? You should understand that by now, that this isn't for you. It's not something you're doing for you. Okay? We'll get to this in a minute here. Um, 
what I want, before we read these passages, what we need to understand is that sometimes, um, I'm, I'm not in any of the armed services. I have never been drafted, nor have I volunteered to serve in that manner. I think it's a courageous action to choose a life like that, but that's not my reality. Um, a life of fortitude doesn't just play out in the armed services. So, and it always doesn't even mean your death. We like to say that it's, it's most clear cut when it's uh, someone you know, came to a horrible war happened, I stood up for the good and I lost my life, right? That clearly, well, clearly this is a fine example of fortitude, and that is. But sometimes the hardest thing that you can do is to keep living, loving, and serving God while suffering or while maintaining what it is that you're called to maintain. Sometimes that is the finest understanding of what suffering and what fortitude can be. So, um, Lee, if you have that passage pulled up from Job, if you don't mind reading that out loud. Okay. Um, so that last part is what's crucial to hear there. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Um, Job's story is synonymous with suffering and injustice and why are these awful, awful, awful things happening to what seemingly is a righteous man, right? But this is it's what makes Job's life a story of fortitude is his response right here. In all of this, he did not sin, and he did not charge God with wrong. No matter what happened, it wasn't enough to dissuade him from the honor of serving God, of recognizing him as Lord, and of loving him, ultimately, and not thinking ill of him through all of this. That is an incredible inner fortitude, exemplified. Um, it's, It's just really really powerful because he continued to be faithful and he had plenty of people trying to dissuade him to stop doing such things right even I think even his own wife says curse God and die right but Job didn't do that Job was faithful and he exhibited fortitude so let's listen to that James passage Don do you have that okay yes please All right, so Job way in the back, right? James more in the forefront. This is current church stuff. This is an epistle. This is what's happening with the early church. And this is why, uh, this is why with such confidence I can make this claim. It's not me just telling you that fortitude can be found not just in dying for your actions. It's James who pulls that together, right? It's James who reaches way back there and references this saying, you know, Be patient in your suffering. Be steadfast. He calls it the steadfastness of Job. Right? Job's example was enough so that it permeated throughout Jewish culture all the way until James to be able to call back on it and say, hey, stand firm. Stand firm. Right? Go all the way back. Look at Job's life. Look at that example. Um, But James puts it 
James's time frame, his epistle puts it in a little bit of a different light, especially if you keep in mind uh, some of the circumstances, right? So Job's life is awful and, har- and horrible because he loses basically everything, loved ones, livelihood, even his own health, right? But he maintains his own life. What James is talking about here is the very real potential that anyone who believes, anyone who remains firm and steadfast, you might lose your life for declaring that you're a Christian, right? So James is the one connecting these two dots with this moral fortitude and being able to remain steadfast, whether that's just an inner battle, uh, something that is just the circumstances of life, or whether it's something more, all the way up to martyrdom. Um, So this is an important kind of concept to pull out. So some of these things, what does suffering look like? What does fortitude look like in our lives, right? We're not in a war right now where we're all kind of in the barracks and getting ready to go out and fight. What does that look like for us when we say we need to live a life of fortitude and faithfulness? Any ideas? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the rub, is we will face trials. Um, all of our lives are complicated and messy and challenging in their own. So each of us could bring a unique, um, distinct kind of story of what it means to have fortitude here. But the trial is an important aspect, and so is this understanding of endurance, right? Of, of faithful endurance, even. Yeah. Right, right. There's a lot of, um, and or, yeah, I can, I can totally repeat what she was saying. Um, and correct me if I misspeak on your behalf, Elaine. So Elaine is talking about this idea that it's there's the repeated showing up and not stopping to show up. But it's also doing the right thing and standing up for the right thing. She's emphasizing um, basically the necessity of fortitude being informed, to use the language that we've been talking about, by prudence and by justice, right? Um, if, it's, if you're fighting for a cause, but it's not a just cause, this ain't fortitude, it's something else. Then you go back one step further. If you can't even recognize what is good, how can you possibly stand up for it, let alone endure for it, right? If you can't recognize it, it's just not gonna happen. So it's, all of this kind of speaks into one another, and if without these parts, it's gonna just collapse. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah. No, this is, this is an important distinction to make. We are living in a post-Christian, uh, post-modern-ish society, whatever's after post-modernity, right? We're in that right now, whatever that hot mess is. And so you hear a lot of people say, live your truth. Live your truth, right? You live your truth, I'll live my truth, and we'll find it kind of somewhere in the middle, maybe. Um, this is obviously a problem for us, right? Because as Christians, we don't say live your truth. We say live the truth, right? And this is what you're talking about. Uh, so this is where it gets muddled. How do you, do you begin to live a life of fortitude in service to the objective good, serving the one true God objectively, when people don't even recognize who God is. So what you're running into and what you're talking about is describing a problem where a world is, um, our world is consumed basically with a lack of prudence. There's a lot of knowledge, not a lot of wisdom, and very little discernment about what is true. And so that really is a problem with how you're supposed to uphold these things. It makes our job even more challenging. Because instead of someone recognizing perhaps even the potential good that you are standing up for, they're going, I don't even know if I'd say that's good. I don't even know if I like that, right? So it's this necessary understanding that it's not just enough to recognize the good, but where is that grounded from? And like you were saying, I'm repeating this so we can all kind of remember and hear it, it that truth comes to us through God and it comes to us through his word in scripture, right? You cannot separate good and true things from the Lord. It just doesn't work like that. Um, I feel like there were hands raised. Who did I miss? Okay, uh, I'll go back there and we'll kind of work our way around. Yeah. Of course. And this kind of goes, this kind of connects in nicely with what Elaine was saying, right? Where sometimes it's not, uh, it's not even necessarily you. It, it's its own challenge to witness and to support someone going through something where they are exhibiting uh, fortitude, right? So you show up and you show up and you show up and you don't run away. I think that's the call um, of how to be faithful and how to exhibit fortitude in that. It's not me suffering, but it's someone I love and I'm not going to I'm not going to just turn a blind eye to it. I'm not going to pretend that it's fine. I'm going to be present to them, whatever that means, right? Recognizing that you can't fix anything, but I'm just going to be there. That's its own form of things. Yeah, Lee. Right. Right. Yes, yes. Discernment is a crucial element. And I think you're touching on an area, too, where um, it's not explicitly stated, but I think it goes right along with this, is that in order to exhibit fortitude, this um, 
this endurance, this I will suffer, I will have patience, however you want to describe that, all those things are encapsulated within fortitude. You have to have a softness about you. You have to have um, a willingness to suffer and to not become hard-hearted, defensive, stiff-necked people, perhaps. Um, that's the temptation, right? The temptation for Job saying, well, either this God isn't good or maybe all of that stuff isn't great, really. It's this tension of recognizing that, no, these things are good, and, and I feel this loss, and I feel this pain, and I feel this hurt, and I'm still going to go, like, I'm still going to live in a, in a manner that's going to reflect that and still is in line with that. Um, I think if you harden yourself up, you're not really experiencing that. You're just trying to numb yourself from the pain, and that's not fortitude either. That's just running on a different front, I would argue. Not that I haven't done that before, but, but I would say that that was me running from the problem rather than fully embracing it and, and going through it the way fortitude would require. There were people over here. Dan, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, if I remember correctly, the word martyr really means witness. Yeah. And there are lots of things that we can be martyrs for that don't involve the ultimate. Right. Yes. We may lose friends. Uh, we uh, may lose our job, perhaps. Uh, yeah. And in a sense, I think maybe fortitude could be a daily practice in little things that might someday lead up to that big thing that we That's a really, that's a great way of putting it. It's the practice of a daily life lived where those little things could point to the perhaps the biggest end goal of fortitude, perhaps martyrdom, perhaps that loss of a job, right? It's the way to live day in and day out where that would be the path you're on rather than saying, no, nah, I'm okay. It's going to be better. And you just keep taking little steps back and before you know it, you're not really standing for what you thought you were standing for. Yeah, Denise. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, so let me, um, I think a good way to summarize that would be this idea that 
Fortitude doesn't always go along with your gifts and skill set, and it's not going to fit nicely in your job description, right? It's, I mean, that's the reality of it. So what is, you know, so what does that look like then? How do I know when I encounter that? It bounces back to this idea that you must, must, must be in prayer and in discernment for what is true and what is good. Because God is going to use you where you are in that moment. Not necessarily because, again, to your point, it's not that Esther was a great advocate. We don't even know that she was a brilliant uh, tactical mind. Or that it, there's, it's none of the skill set that she gets listed. It's just she was there. And she said, okay. That was it. So that's an important distinction. Yeah. 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 How can you be brave when you feel like you're standing on your own? Fortitude doesn't ask you to do something that you can do in your own strength. It asks you to do that through the strength of God. And so you tap into that strength when you're with him, not when you're standing on your own. Right. It's that firm feeling of knowing he's at your back if you're walking in and doing something that the world would seem to say is incredibly foolish. Right. Um, Yeah. Um, We'll go down the row here. So start with Jenny. Yeah, I think this is an incredibly complicated position. I, I don't know if I have a great answer. I, I'll, be, I'll be honest, I don't know if, hum, if humanity has ever really had a great answer for it. Um, I think there's more than enough warrant to be able to take both sides of it. Um, I sit there and think of some of the stuff that occurred during World War II, and I say, um, you know, I think it was Bonhoeffer. I'm really in murky water here, so please correct me, anyone, if you know that I'm straying, but I think it was Bonhoeffer who decided to take up arms after he recognized that people were coming for his neighbor. I wasn't going to enlist on any sort of, for my own benefit, I wasn't, you know, that wasn't my thing, I wasn't going to do this, but they came for my neighbor, and I know that that's not right, and so that's when he enlisted, and that's when he joined that movement. I think that's a really interesting model for how you can um, understand fortitude to take place. It's not just, you know, a super proactive, I'm going to fight and make sure this never even gets to that point necessarily. It's the defense of something else. When it hits a point where you go, no, no more. Um, so I wonder if that's, a, if that's a line of thought we can kind of tug out or be an interesting distinctive point of, because um, then it's just a question of when do you engage versus is it right to engage? So I don't know. I don't know if I have a right answer for that, but but that's what I would... Yeah, well, me too, me and my family too. But I would, I would argue that that's what I would push back to is that model for Bonhoeffer of it's okay, um, not in a super proactive sense, but in the sense where I know that I need to act, I do it then. Does that make sense? There is, um, down the line, were you, did you raise your hand, Rebecca? Um, yeah, I just became an right. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, also, to be a family, 
Right. Right. And I was thinking that James, when he's talking about fortitude, how much he ties it to that greater meaning. You know, he talks about perseverance, perfect patience, patience for his character. And that is how you experience the other character, a work of hope. Yeah. You're right. Yes. Yes. So let me read this quote to you here. I know we're running out of time, but yes, yes, you're right on it here. Uh, this is Peeper describing this, right? For to be brave means not only to suffer injury or death in the struggle for the realization of the good, but also to hope for victory, okay? So without this hope, fortitude is impossible, and the higher the victory, the more certain the hope for it, the more risks to gain. So, here's the bullet point you have to take away. The supernatural gift of fortitude, the gift of the Holy Spirit, however, is nourished by the surest hope of the final and highest victory in which all other victories, by their hidden reference to it, are perfected. And this big hope that he's talking about is the hope of eternal life. So, you know, it's a gift from the Spirit because hopefully, well, hopefully, I mean, you're given, you're given that picture of what it can be. Understanding what's good and what's right and all this stuff knowing how things should be and trying to get to that ideal, you step out in faith, and part of that faith is the knowledge that God is coming. He is going to set this right, and it's this final hope of even if it costs me my life, I have eternal life. I have this eternal hope, this eternal salvation that nothing, no situation, no circumstance can take from me. Uh, and that's what enables fortitude, basically, if you boil it down. You don't have that uh, as a part of your framework. It's not going to happen. And we're running out of time here, so I want to point out a last couple things. So this quote that I have up here with C.S. Lewis, since it's likely that children will meet cruel enemies, at least let them have heard of brave knights and heroic courage. Otherwise, you are making their destiny darker instead of brighter. I didn't quote it perfectly, but it's up there for you. Um, and this image, it's hard to kind of see up here, but this image is one of a kid sleeping and it's the little kid's teddy bear with a, store, with a sword defending them from this giant monster. Okay, it's a, it's a big image. It's making the way around the internet. Um, this is important. Why is this important? So I can only speak from my point in time and where I'm at in my life. But where I'm at in my life is being a mom, primarily. And that means that I'm instructing. I'm teaching. I'm trying to give life lessons in very small and concrete ways. And it's so, so important that big concepts like this, fortitude, that we grapple with, that we struggle with, prudence, what is true, what is good, what's justice, these things are crucial to teach, to point out, and to know. So I include some examples. We're going to blitz through these real quick, okay? So I'm going to put them all up there. Okay. So the first one we talked about was Job, right? Esther, we've talked about. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. How many of you know this example? 
That's right, because their names are not actually Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These are the people who stood up in the fiery furnace. It, it's a personal pet peeve of mine that we call them by names that, mean, that serve another god when their lives were in service to another. Just a personal pet peeve. Okay, you have Daniel in the lion's den. You have Daniel in the lion's den. I will not stop this. I'm not going to give up on God now. He has not given up on me. You have Jesus willingly going towards the cross. And obviously, this is the golden example. This is the one you should all be coming back to as Christians. This is the one that everything points to, is his willingness to go and serve the good, right? And stand up for that at all costs. That's him. So if you get no other example, Jesus is the big one, right? But I started with Esther because I think it's uh, fun to pull out nuance from stories that we aren't as familiar with. And then the apostles, as they are bravely going about sharing this kind of good news amidst intense persecution, threats of death, and eventually the loss of their lives. Um, these are biblical examples. I know I'm going fast. I, we have, like, no time. So fictional examples. And, again, these are based on what I would be telling my kids. Okay? So Aslan going to the stone table from Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. That's a huge fortitude. It's not me. It's not him. He went willingly. Especially think of that long walk where he is in fear and he's crying and afraid. And Lucy and Susan are able to comfort him. Okay? Think about uh, Harry Potter, right? Harry Potter books. This big, dark, dark lord comes back and Harry has to sit there. He's hiding behind the gravestone. Am I going to live? Am I going to die? I don't know, but I'm going to go out and face this head on. He does that, right? Katniss Everdeen goes up and volunteers as tribute. I don't want to die, but what I know I don't want more is someone else who shouldn't be in there in the first place going in. I'm putting myself in that place. This isn't right, okay? Uh, Eugene Fitzherbert, for those of you. Flynn Ryder for Tangled. These are examples for kids, right? It's when he decides that even though he might not live without the healing power of Rapunzel's hair, he cuts her hair so that she can be free, okay? And the last one from Inside Out, um, Bing Bong, this fictional character, he's not going to make it out with joy. And this little girl, Riley, needs joy in order to be well with her life. So he sacrifices himself to be forgotten so that joy can get back and things can get right with Riley. Um, again, these are not the most highbrow examples, and they're not supposed to be. These are supposed to be bite-sized examples of what it looks like in a fictional sense, in a biblical sense, for us, even at the smallest of ages, to understand that fortitude is something that you can lean into and you can be given when needed. Because, again, we don't know what our lives are going to be like. We don't know when we're going to need fortitude. We just need to know that we're acting in a right way and we are right in our understanding of God and how we're following, so that when we're called to do it, we actually do. We're way out of time. We're running a little late, and I know we need to close up our service. So thank you all very much.